Welcome to Take the Money, a production of Foster & Associates Financial Services, Inc., co-hosted by Philip Marion and David Winnell. Take the Money is a podcast exploring the challenges and opportunities facing entrepreneurs, business owners, and professionals. Disclaimer, none of our discussions should be considered a recommendation to purchase any particular product, security, fund, or ETF, and all content should be considered for information purposes only. Before making any investment decision, our listeners are strongly encouraged to seek the counsel of a qualified investment advisor to make sure the investment is suitable for you. Now on to the show. Okay, welcome everyone. We're joined for this discussion by Marcelo Liu. Marcelo is the president of BASF Canada. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. So Marcelo, congratulations. You're coming up on five years as president of BASF. Can you tell us briefly about your, your life and your experience prior to joining the company? Yeah, actually, uh, I've been in BSF now for almost 15 years. So uh, I've been five in Canada, but 10 uh, outside Canada. Before BSF, maybe I start with that. I, I started working at the World Bank. I actually studied to be a dipl- diplomat. So uh, I, I started at the World Bank and then felt that uh, I could do a bit more in the private sector. Got into BSF uh, in Germany. Uh, so I, sp- I spent uh, almost four years in Germany, then seven uh, in Hong Kong, and then uh, came came to Canada with BSF. So it's been an interesting journey. Can you tell us a bit about um, uh, the business in Canada, what you're responsible for and running? Yeah, we do about $2 billion Canadian. Uh, half of that actually is in the agricultural space. Yeah, So we, we supply a lot of the seeds and also crop protection. Uh, but the other billion really is uh, very diversified. I mean, it goes from uh, pharma ingredients all the way to oil and gas uh, additives. And then we also do quite a bit in automotive sector, aerospace, home care, personal care. So, you know, we, we are basically a proxy to, for many industries. So uh, chemistry is a building block to anything that is pr- produced. Yeah. So outside financial sector and consulting, we are basically everywhere. What were the most, uh, in terms of this year, obviously, uh, being a challenge, what were the biggest challenges you faced with some of those business segments? Yeah, I mean, when the pandemic hit, of course, uh, there there were major shutdowns uh, that affected us uh, in the automotive sector, uh, uh, the oil and gas sector, of course, went uh, tremendously down. And of course, uh, just being there for the customer. A lot of the customers also didn't have a lot of visibilities of what was going to happen and for how long. And and I mean, it's definitely been more of a long haul topic. So some of the challenges was really to adapting quickly our value chain and of course, protecting our employees and then also communicating very closely with our customers to understand you know, the difficulties that, that they have, not only ours. So part, part of your company's strategy I've, I've read is and seen is providing value for society. And you, you mentioned the oil and gas industry in particular, like that seems a bit at odds with being a chem- chemical company. Can you, can you speak to some of the initiatives that you're, you're up to right now that might endorse the strategy of being a net benefit? Yeah, uh, uh, that's a great question. I mean, value to society goes well beyond uh, um, it, it includes value to the environment, but also value uh, of uh, human capital and social capital. 
And, uh, uh, you know, Canada is a resource country. Uh, I mean, it's a very rich resource country. Uh, I mentioned the ag space. I mean, it's a big uh, a food provider that helps feed the world, uh, but it's also an energy player. And, and you know, there, there is a position for Canada in the energy space. And, and I think there's a lot of discussions on transition. So a lot of the chemistry that we provide in the oil and gas actually is helping them become more sustainable. So if you can imagine our few additives that get going to gasoline or diesel, these help you burn these fuel catalysts into the uh, 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 refineries that allow you to reduce emissions. And one of the key things that we also work, especially in the oil sands, which, you know, sometimes get a, a bad rap is also on the tailing side, uh, on the mining part of, uh, of Canada. We also have solutions that go into tailings that allow you to get uh, water treatment done and rehabilitation quicker of the land. So, uh, I mean, there, there's quite a bit that we do and everything that you put as a component and BSF has been very clear on this is every product that we uh, bring to the market has to have a sustainability value. And we even classified our products uh, in different sustainability uh, values. So, uh, and, and the intention again, to your question is always coming back to the value that it adds to society. So it is a company that uh, is providing sustainable solutions for the environment, but also supporting big companies to be more sustainable and continue to employ all the people that they employ to create that social value and human capital value. Have you seen a bigger push of late to accelerate the uh, efficiencies in companies or environmentally friendly initiatives? Yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's really interesting what COVID uh, has done. It has pressed, you know, maybe not in the beginning of the year, but sometime before summer, there was kind of a light switch that went off that, you know, people wanted to talk about uh, batteries, material, electrification, yeah. hydrogen uh, now is coming into. And this is all things that BSF is, you know, we are in the battery material space. We supply into battery manufacturing. We are also having some, solutions into the hydrogen sector uh, in gas treatment, but also, you know, a new technology that we're trying to put out with methane pyrolysis. But to your point, all this has become very exciting or, uh, let's say, uh, very topical throughout the summer where, uh, you know, the whole, uh, the government started to say, okay, let's step back. When we come out of this thing, we need to do the build back better. Yeah, it, it needs to be a recovery, but not a recovery to the past. It needs to be a recovery really to the future. And, and that is where I think there's a lot of movement around, you know, just when we are back, we need to rethink how we are doing things and what we are producing and how we are producing. I, I like that expression, recover to the future. It's m much more palatable than back to a new normal. Correct. Yeah. So you, you mentioned in an earlier discussion that your company, BASF, is since since Canada is such a small part of the, the global company that the Canada is a bit of a testing ground for uh, new processes or technologies. Can you tell us a bit about some of those? Yeah. Um, and I think um, that's the big benefit that we have, or I would argue our competitive advantage is we are in a smaller market and we have, um, you know, smaller teams, but we try to make them not to be uh, uh, overly using the, the phrase, but we try to make them agile and, and really react quick. 
So whenever we have new technologies, new products or new processes that we want to implement, we always raise our hand to say, okay, maybe we should try it in Canada because we can control it better. If you start something in, you know, putting in, in China or in a big market like Germany for us or in the US, you usually have to coordinate. There is a lot more competitors. There is some other things to think about. But in Canada, it really allows us to control a bit more and, and really be uh, closer to the customer in pushing these things out. So we have a couple of examples of that. Maybe I give two. Uh, one of the things that we've done is uh, say, look, we want to um, work a lot more with uh, startups. Yeah. So we, we basically uh, had already a relationship with a hub called Plug and Play out in San Francisco area. And uh, we said, why don't you open an office, not only in Canada, but in our office uh, for this startup environment. And, and with that, what we do is we use the BSF leverage of startups wanting to talk to a big company like BSF to introduce our customers to have those kind of interactions also with startups, because a lot of the small, medium-sized companies would not have that opportunity. We have another interesting pilot. Uh, this is an example of new products going to the market. We have a partnership with uh, another company that has a uh, additive that you put into plastics that, uh, that survives you know, the extrusion step and also recycling step. Now, why is this interesting? It's because that this additive actually has a way to be read by a scanner and, and actually uh, you, you can trace the material along the value chain. And as we know, plastics, there is a, a big issue and a big challenge uh, of traceability of some of the commitments on what recycle content you need to have. And, you know, to coordinate this in an environment like in the US or in Germany, it takes a lot more, but we were able to do this uh, successfully here uh, in Canada. We just finished the pilot called Resichain. So- And that was a result of the businesses coming up with their ideas that you would explore. Co correct. Uh, yeah. um, we, we were thinking about plastics. What can we do in Canada to be impactful? Yeah. Then we searched internally. We had this product. We said, okay, why don't we just do a pilot here? And, you know, off we go. How many ideas are you hearing quite a bit? I mean, to have them in your office is, is quite a, a step for. So, so I actually have another one. It's, uh, uh, I don't know if you have the yeah, videos, but, but uh, this is a 3D printed uh, shoe. We are familiar with carbon 3D. It's so what type of uh, is this another type of 3D printing company that's come up? Co correct. We, we yeah. actually are a materials provider into the 3D ah. printing space. And we actually acquired one or two companies that do 3D printing materials. Yeah. And now, of course, we are in the market uh, with 3D printing solutions. And, uh, you know, this is a prototype shoot that that I got as a as a gift to promote. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> uh, that's what I do here as well. So I'm, I'm just curious, you mentioned about that additives into the plastics. Like I've, I've seen a lot about the loop or circular economy where like how, how long do you think that'll be until it's a reality? And, you know, it's, it's something that listeners and, and consumers can relate to every day. Do you think it'll be adopted uh, in the near future? I think this is going to get accelerated very quickly. Uh, um, a lot of countries, Canada included, are thinking how to legislate on this, how to regulate. I mean, it's always uh, tough uh, because uh, with regulation and legislation, maybe you're trying to reduce the options that you have. But if the government is smart and does smart regulation, I would argue would incentivize more recycling and more circular 
uh, uh, types of thinking uh, around plastic. But one of the key things, and we won't get away with with this, uh, we won't be able to implement something in plastics unless we have it, is infrastructure. So that's not something that a one corporation is able to do or a retailer or a a, a supermarket is able to do. That needs to have also some kind of a government-private partnership uh, uh, to get recycling facilities up, uh, get consolidation, get uh, consumers involved to understand what, how to sort, right? There is, a, there is still a bit of technology that needs to be put in place for sorting and uh, uh, reducing contamination, but then also government support, not intervention support to make this happen. Yeah. Is government already supporting or do you need substantially more uh, funding from the um, I, I think, uh, um, especially in Canada, I have to say the government has a, a good culture or a good philosophy of consultation. Okay. Whether they listen all the time, I, 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 I wouldn't want to comment. But I think, I think the government is uh, uh, thinking about it in the right direction. Let me put it this way. And not only in the federal side, but especially and because this is done locally on the provincial side is, is very important. So uh, I think from that perspective... Uh, and, and I think it's the same in the U.S. Basically, yeah. I, I think there's the federal reg- le- legislation that will come in, and then the states need to pick up in the cities as well, municipalities. Can you comment on renewable energy in Canada? And do you help out traditional oil and gas, but are you seeing? I guess a two-part question: Are you seeing oil and gas adapt to trying to be involved with more renewable energy side? And is there a development on your end of helping renewable companies within Canada? So we already have a partnership with a uh, company called Bullfrog Power. And what they do is a mass balance approach to renewable energy. So basically what it is, is we procure from them uh, renewable energy, but it's in a mass balance approach. What does that mean? That means that the physically that energy is not coming, uh, you know, maybe 100% from renewable, but they are buying our portion of energy and injecting into the grid and dislocating the what would be coming from a fossil-based energy, right? So that, that is one thing that we do already for a lot of our sites. We, we make sure that we have a commitment on carbon neutral growth. So we already do that procurement. But uh, to your point on renewable, there's a lot of discussion, for example, in the ag space, whether they, you know, some of our growers that we have relationship, whether they could do more solar. I mean, they have all yeah. the land. In the resource space, uh, going to renewable, uh, energy is one thing, but then you need to be able to store the energy. We have a lot of discussions on how to support on electrification and battery materials. Yeah, and and on the oil and gas side, less on the oil, but more on the gas. I mean, a lot of discussion yeah. on hydrogen and the, all that infrastructure of hydrogen. So if you think about, you know, the investments that you need to do for uh, the supply chain or the distribution of hydrogen once that becomes a really viable uh, fuel, which is not at the moment you'll be able to use potentially some of the natural gas uh, infrastructure. So the retrofitting of that and, you know, that more and more I hear some of the energy companies think about, okay, how do I get into renewable solar or wind, but even more so for the, the ones that have gas infrastructure, how do I get into hydrogen? Is there a, from the, you know, hydro and perspective of what, what's generated and, and goes into the grid is there government typically has been subsidizing that providing a price that they pay for it has that been steady or declining or increasing what's what's happened with that to support it 
Yeah, this is a good question. I don't know if I if I would know exactly what the mechanism is is around there. I, I know that okay. you have some of the carbon tax or carbon pricing that is being imposed that starts pushing more and more companies to think about uh, a renewable. But I w- I wouldn't know the the price mechanism in detail okay. that uh, to to be able to comment here. Yeah. A question about uh, agriculture, Marcelo. There has been and will continue to be. A, a trend towards locally produced, lo- locally grown and produced food and, and organic food. How, how does a, ke- a chemical company like BASF benefit from that trend to more natural foods? So, so uh, I mean, uh, more and more for sure, there is that uh, push towards locally grown and organic. There, there is always going to be a, a room for that. But uh, when we're thinking about the food supply uh, and the needs uh, uh, globally, we, we for sure think about uh, industrial scale agriculture. But uh, to your point on uh, what does a chemical company have to do uh, with, uh, with agriculture? I mean, if you hear more and more what we are uh, promoting as solutions, we are talking about precision agriculture. We're not talking about you know, widespread just use uh, volume driven approach. It's really exactly what you need. Just like a human takes vitamin, crops also need something to survive this. Uh, and one thing that I think is very interesting and is an area where we are investing quite a bit is digitalization of uh, the agricultural space. So being able to digitalize and really understand growth yields, understand the weather implication, understand, you know, crop patterns that uh, make most sense. This, we have a, a, a lot of solutions now in the digital space that we are promoting in this. So, so again, the, uh, precision agriculture, but also digitalization of agriculture. I think that's where we more want to go as a solution provider. Recently, in our world, in the investment side, there's quite a bit of attention on plant-based uh, protein production. Um, are you seeing companies in Canada really start to adopt that and, and uh, move towards sort of that type of uh, industry? Again, uh, for sure. Um, Canada is a big pulse uh, producer. So a lot of protein in that, a lot of components that go into that. So, uh, and, and we do see, uh, uh, I think the market is just beginning where we're talking about some single digits uh, that uh, if, you, if you look at in, in, the, in the food space, uh, uh, the share of protein-based diet that is coming from plant-based, right? So uh, I think it's just the beginning, but, but we see a lot of demand already starting coming from this. So we'll, we'll start to wrap it up here. And uh... We, we like to ask, what, what's one thing you know now that you wish you knew at, at this time last year? Uh, that I was going to spend so much time in my basement. Yeah, I, 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 I would have I uh, uh, made it more interesting because uh, I, I'm still quite lonely down there and it's, it's, it's very pale. You, well, it's you okay. It's getting dark earlier now. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that that, that would be the, the biggest one. Yeah, I, I would say so, because from a market perspective and customers, it's actually been something that got us closer. We are talking more. Uh, uh, so from a business perspective, I think it's good. And of course, uh, um, being more ready with the, some digital solutions to interact with our colleagues, that, that would have been uh, better if we had that in place instead of trying to ramp it up. Doing, but, hmm. but I think we've done a good job with that as well. What would you say to an aspiring, uh, I assume you have quite a few chemists that are employed 
Uh, what would you say to them in terms of uh, advice or guidance that are coming out of school and, and you know, aside from coming to apply for a job with you guys, uh, just <laughs> going forward, what to focus on? Yeah, I think uh, we touched it more the sustainability angle. I, I think okay. a lot of the chemistries are uh, coming out are going to look into, you know, renewable content, uh, a whole life cycle uh, analysis. I mean, uh, you know, this chemistry is interesting, but what does it look like in the end of life? What does it look like in the supply chain in the upstream? Uh, does it make sense uh, to produce it? So uh, more and more, we're not thinking about this linear singular topic, we're talking about circular, uh, whole life cycle type of process. So chemistry is not a single point. It's, you know, ever flowing type of thing. So of, of everything you've had to adapt to and, and change this year, what, what do you think is, is here to stay? That's, uh, that's interesting. I, I think we, for sure, the office will never be what it was before. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. If I think about how many times I came to the office and I was stuck in my uh, office uh, talking on the phone the whole day, does that really make sense that I waste, uh, you know, an hour coming to work every day or I could do that at home? So, so I think that is here to stay. I, I say that with a caveat, I still believe that there is an essential part of coming to the office for the collaboration. Yeah? And I see this uh, especially with colleagues that just started uh, with us during the pandemic, you see that there, you know, there is a bigger effort to be made to get them, you know, integrated into the company broadly. So they are very good and they understand their silo, but that cross uh, collaboration is really affected. And that's something that you only get when you are more in the water cooler or sharing a pizza, you, you know, you need that kind of uh, physical interaction. All right. And what uh, what are you most looking forward to next year? Next year, uh, I, I'm i mostly looking forward to uh, traveling again, maybe more on the personal side because that has been impacted. But, uh, you know, again, seeing people a bit more closer. I mean, this year has been a lot of video calls. I would like to avoid being uh, in as many videos calls as possible next year, even though I have to admit, I, I still think it's going to take a while before we go back to some sort of normal where we are more physically interacting. So that's going to be a bit uh, later in the year next year. Excellent. Well, th thank you again for joining us, Marcel. That was a, that was a interesting discussion and uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate it. All right. That's the show. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about our firm, you can visit our website at www.fostergroup.ca or you can send me an email at D-W-I-N-N-E-L-L. -L. Thanks for listening and stay tuned.